0: Yo, Yo, tonight, to Hello, WG and listening audience. live from the biggest small town in america it's the saturday night special with amy goon
1: WGN. It's Amy Guth and this is the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us this evening. So, you know what? We tackle a lot of topics here on the Saturday Night Special and some of them are really heavy and some of them are really light. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow the lighter topics or what we think are going to be lighter topics often end up being the subjects with layer after layer after layer to uncover once we get started talking about them, talking with our guests and learning from their expertise. On that note, June, as it turns out, is National Aquarium and Zoo Month, and it's World Ocean Day on June the 8th. That seems fun. That seems light, right? Well... Sure, I thought that that seemed like a fine thing to celebrate and a very simple and straightforward topic. But looking into work being done in this space, suddenly programs and people and data started to emerge. Programs and people doing fascinating work far beyond what we might see when we're gazing at wildlife, when visiting a zoo or aquarium. So for most of us. Places like that are just about the only opportunity to see most animals, beyond household pets anyway, right up close. And while definitely it's not always easy to see these majestic creatures in captivity while imagining their wild counterparts running or swimming free, the world is changing. Habitats are changing. And as habitats are changing, animal populations are changing, too. And so next to education conservation is a key mission for just about all zoos and aquariums. It's estimated that over 175 million people visit U.S. zoos and aquariums each year. And that popularity, their popularity anyway, is growing as more people learn to appreciate and value what these facilities add in terms of conservation and education. Lincoln Park Zoo, for example, is one of the largest Zoo based conservation and science programs in the country, and their conservation and science department does a lot and I mean a lot, as many zoos do for wildlife conservation around the entire world, far, far beyond just here in Chicago, but the entire world, including identifying a range of threats to wild populations, forecasting through population data, and creating strategies to ensure that animal populations in peril at least have a shot. Not surprising. It's us, humans, that pose the biggest threat to most threatened and endangered animal populations. We wreck natural habitats, we chop up their land to stock our lumber yards, we pollute their oceans. But there are plenty of pretty easy things that we can do to help them out, and we don't need very much money or time to do them. Just the inclination. So tonight we'll talk with Dave Bernier, who is a general curator at the Lincoln Park Zoo, about his work, about things going on behind the scenes at the zoo that are extremely cool and super simple adjustments that we can all make to our shopping habits to help wild habitats around the world. We'll also journey to the West Coast tonight to talk with Sally Compton from the Oregon Coast Aquarium about conservation efforts there addressing the unique needs of wildlife in coastal areas. And we'll talk with a local entrepreneur named Romney Cirillo of Something Fishy, Inc., an organization that has designed a new program called Mobile Aquatic Therapy. It brings beautiful and relaxing and joyful aquariums full of bright and cheerful fish to children in hospitals, many too sick to get out of bed, even children that can't receive human visitors. It's pretty great. So we're going to talk to him about that. So tonight on the Saturday Night Special, it's all about connecting with wildlife and the people who do work in this area. So we'll be right back to get the conversation underway here on 720 WGN.
2: 720
1: WGN. It's Amy Guth. And this is the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us this evening. As ever, we take one topic and we talk about it all night. And as I said in the opening monologue, it's often the topics that seem really light and straightforward ends up, we learn a whole lot in those episodes. Because, you know, we go in thinking, like in this one, it is uh, National Zoo and Aquarium Month here in June, and June 8th is World Ocean Day. And I thought, oh, we'll talk to people about creatures. This will be fun. Lots of people doing cool stuff here in Chicago. And as I started digging... And started talking to people and started interviewing people this week in preparation for the show. I realized there's way more going on in this space than any of us realize. And so I brought some really interesting people together this evening to talk about that. Uh, Here in a little bit on the other side of news, we're going to hear from someone from Lincoln Park Zoo who has, as I, I spoke to him a little bit earlier. So I had to record it because working at the zoo is a busy thing he's a busy guy, so we recorded it uh, a little bit earlier but you hear me in the in the conversation with him I say you have the coolest job because animals are so much better than people most of the time <laughs> which is a real thing which is I mean imagine like you're around animals all day and you know and he's doing all this cool conservation stuff to uh, to help them and and so I think that's so interesting and you know he really pointed out something in the interview that that um, he's talking about one of the biggest challenges he has is uh, making it there's a disconnect between you know we see we go to we grew up going to zoos and we see giraffes everywhere and gorillas and all these wonderful creatures and he said but how few there are actually out in the world it's hard to translate that when you've seen giraffes in zoos your whole life it's kind of Tricky to imagine, you know, and he said, and it's hard to convey that to a visitor, you're there to have a good time, you have little children with you. And it's hard to say, Oh, see this beautiful gorilla, there's only 200 left in the world. And, and, you know, and he was, so he was, I started looking up numbers of, of animals after I talked to him. And it's really stark, like one of the most endangered creatures. Uh, it's a type of leopard because they have really beautiful fur. And so people want their fur for, you know, for decorative stuff. Um, there's 70 left. Wow, I mean that. I was like, there. I think there's more than seventy people that work here, right? I yes, mean, that's, for sure. <laughs> and that's so. That's uh, stuff like that that makes me like, whoa, whoa, time out. We're messing this up. And you know, the and the more I was reading leading up to this week, everything pointed to one thing. The number one thing destroying oceans and habitats and creatures. It's us. Yeah, we're the worst. Humans are, are the worst. We're terrible. And here's the thing, you guys. You don't have to go all like PETA and Greenpeace to 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 fix it right we don't there's little bitty tweaks a few of them are are in this interview that you'll hear here on the other side of news just like tiny things that you can do just with like with your shopping habits that i that one of them i had never even thought of that i thought was really really useful it's about the type of oil that you buy and why um so there's little tweaks it's just like flip that can or bottle around be like does it say this nope not gonna buy it easy done super easy things so you know i think it's a matter of like getting into this because i was i have been walking around thinking oh i i care about the environment and i care about creatures and i think i love to visit you know zoos and aquariums and see these gorgeous creatures doing their thing and i secretly want to have a pet otter because <laughs> they're real cute <laughs> on instagram they're so cute oh my gosh they make a terrible noise. If you follow any of the otter Instagram accounts, though, they're so adorable. But the babies, especially, make this noise like, you know, that like the dolphin noise. Uh huh. Imagine that as a prolonged screech. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're cute, but I'm gonna need you to bring it down. A notch. That's like, not a usual pet you want to have, Amy. <laughs> I know it'd be really fun, though. They're so darn cute. I mean, I like all little furry creatures, but also like. You know, big, beautiful, you know, whales and dolphins. And I just think that's so lovely. And so at uh, the more I read about them, you know, you think, oh, their population is threatened. Oh, no. When you read like there's 70 of them. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not threatened. Like they're almost gone. Yeah, that's that. That, that could be wiped out. And, you know, and so the more I was reading about it's, it's on us. We're, you know, we're we're wrecking their habitats to for food additives and mm-hmm. preservatives that grow in the wild. And for lumber, and Mm -hmm. uh, we got to do better. We got to do do better. You know, even uh, the simple act of like sustainable seafood. I was going to talk to somebody tonight from the Shed Aquarium. Unfortunately, uh, that did not end up working out, uh, talking about their sustainable seafood program because they have a really cool thing. But nonetheless, no hard feelings, staying by the Shed. Um, If you go to their website, they have a cool thing, they have like a series of dinners. Um, that are like an educational series all about sustainable seafood that I think is pretty cool. Because then you can go and like, all right, what is it I need to cook and not cook? And how do I cook it? What do I do? Or let's have this fancy night out that's actually doing, you know, some good in the world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's really cool. But yeah. but this is one of those topics that, uh, you know, sometimes we take really deep, heavy topics here on the show. And it seems like, oh, man, there's so much there. But then, you know, once you lay it out, you get all the voices together and you have this conversation and it feels great to talk about it. But this is one of those topics that totally blew my mind as I was researching it throughout the week of, you know, I think I, I thought I knew a lot about this. I knew nothing. I, I mean, I, I could say at the end of every show, every show, <laughs> I know nothing. I'm the vessel. People always go, You're, you know, people that give me good feedback, which is not across the board. Some people don't give good feedback, right? But people that give good feedback say, oh, I learn a lot listening to your show. How do you know so much stuff? I was like, I know nothing. <laughs> I'm curious too. Like I just go digging into stuff, going, "Hey, I wonder what that's about," and then I go, "Oh, I want to tell I want to tell listeners about that. That's fun." So to me, it's like this journey of let's learn stuff together because I know I know nothing. I don't know anything. I'm the vessel for real. Amy, I
2: didn't even know that it was Zoomonth.
1: month. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's Zo month. I follow a lot of weird Twitter
2: accounts. That so I learned something you today
1: the uh, the weird holiday websites. They're, they're a wealth of topic inspiration. For, there you go. For all broadcasters. You can go, what is a weird, what is a weird holiday today?
2: Just Google that. What is a weird, uh, holiday today?
1: Okay. So there, there are some really strange ones that I found through the years going to weird holiday websites. We're going to go off topic for a second. Then we're going to come back to the creatures that need us. Um, uh, one of them w- was something like, Shout insults at cobras day, which is literally the what? opposite of what we're talking about tonight. Do cobras
3: <laughs> even have the capability of hearing?
1: I don't know. I I doubt it. I doubt it very much. Mo- I mean, that
3: holiday's a waste.
1: That holiday's totally <laughs> Google waste. it. Right. So there's that one. There's one that uh, I thought was so hilarious, and I was telling a friend about this, who's actually from Vermont and knew about this. That it is a real thing. It is. Um, you sneak a zucchini onto your neighbor's porch. Day. Why? Because in certain parts of Vermont, there's just a bumper crop of zucchini this time of year or that time of year. It's like later in the summer. And people have so much zucchini, they don't know what to do. So so, it's it's supposed
3: to be an act of giving, of generosity. It's an act of
1: giving, but you're supposed to do it in a funny way. Like write something with zucchini or build a person (laughs) or, you know, I thought that maybe it was a euphemism. It's not a euphemism. Uh It is actually you just put a stack of zucchini against someone's door. So when they open the door, it'll fall in on them. Uh, you know, and I was like, "What a ridiculous thing!" He goes, "Oh no!" My friend was like, "Oh no, it's really fun. Don't not like get offended." <laughs> he was all don't funny. knock it until you try tried it. Yeah, huh? he was like, "Don't okay. hate on zucchini day." I'm like, "Well, whatever." I
2: well, mean, the Greeks love zucchini day because we have like fried zucchini. In Greek restaurants, y- I, your people have delicious food. <laughs> is what We're so far off topic. We got I know
1: once, we took a right turn at yelling insults at Cobra Snakes. But let me just tell
2: uh, David, one one second. Um cobras can hear, by the way. So I just googled it. They can? They can hear. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's so not a waste yell, of yell yelling insults. Yelling insults
3: at cobras <laughs> So is, you can, can be highly, highly so dangerous. <laughs> I mean It's like, what did you just say to me, pal? Oh, right. Like Come cobra, a little close. Cobras have
1: a bad attitude. They're like Let's let's
2: talk about what you say.
1: Come here and say to my face. Yeah,
2: let me me give you a little venom as a parting gift. They're they're better at sensing vibrations instead, though. Just so you know, David. (laughs) Don't F Y I.
1: Yeah. So there's that. We're so far off the rails. I had <laughs> Let's all, go back. I had it all ready to talk about like we're, why we're really being terrible to animals today and, and the things we're doing. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Another one that kept coming up, though, to bring it back to this topic is not just us wrecking habitats like with uh, deforestation, like chopping down all the trees and, and things like that uh, and making it impossible for animals to live or like isolating them. Because we're like shrinking their environments, and they can't run in herds. Whatever, it's plastic in the oceans.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. The way- I've been trying for years to like break my plastic habit. I don't know how to do it. Ziploc bags are just good, but- <laughs> and they're very durable too. I admit, I do wash out Ziploc bags. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it depends on what's in them. <laughs> if it's just like a couple of carrots that I bring to work. Oh yeah, that 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 that's fine.
0: Reason. Well,
3: some some companies have made some changes in that regard. Um, If you can see the cup that I'm holding up. I cannot. ah, Well, it's Dunkin' Donuts. And they used to have all the styrofoam. Yep. They've switched to paper.
1: Okay. I'm on board with that. I mean, I have like those. uh... And
3: they're one of many that have started to make that kind of adjustment because so many of the stories that we're seeing, um, they found plastic products in the Marianas Trench.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're which, wrecking things.
3: Which is a really long way for plastic to go. Right. But they've right. got that plastic sort of habitat that's in the middle of the Pacific somewhere.
1: It's all bad.
3: Yeah. Uh they're just finding plastic in the internal organs of animals.
1: Oh yeah, that's it. I mean, that's such and a big fish. One. And which I, I was many
3: re- of it we consume.
1: I was reading about this and that some of the smaller plastic particles as it starts to break
3: microplastics.
1: Yes. Some animals mistake them for a small food like plankton. They were they're like or as they're eating plankton, they're ingesting it. So it's getting into their bodies. Then either we're eating that creature or they they're just it's killing them. It's really it's real terrible. So, you know, it's not about I'm not again, not a PETA Greenpeace show tonight. We're talking with some people doing really cool things in this area. Uh, One. We're talking with somebody after at eight o'clock. Who this is real cool. He is bringing mobile aquariums into hospitals to visit children uh, who often can't get out of bed or can't receive human visitors. This is really cool. We're going to talk with him. We're talking with uh, after this news break. We're going to talk with someone from Lincoln Park Zoo. It's a pre-recorded conversation I had with him because zoo people are very busy, as I learned <laughs> this week. Um, so we're going to talk with him about um, the very cool job that he has. Very cool job. I think I told him that three times in the interview, uh, and then a little bit later. We're talking with somebody from the Oregon Coast Aquarium because there's some really unique challenges uh, and specific efforts going on with a with a coastal aquarium that is a little bit different than what we do here. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're gonna now that we're back on topic, we're gonna take a break here in a sec and get you the news, all that good stuff. We are talking all about oceans and aquariums and wildlife and zoos and all that cool stuff tonight. And throughout the show, we're going to be sharing a bunch of links with some simple stuff that you can do to uh, not go out of your way, not spend a ton of of money, but just some easy stuff that you can do to help our creature friends in their natural habitats. So back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. So on the other side of news, we are going to be talking with someone from the Lincoln Park Zoo about some. I'm telling you, there are cool jobs out there. I thought I thought we were doing pretty well here, but then you hear from someone who works at the zoo, and you're like, okay, that's a way cooler job. That's pretty cool. So we're going to be talking with him about cool, cool things that Lincoln Park Zoo is doing around the world to help endangered and threatened animal populations. It's going to be really cool. Stick around for that. 720 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth, and this is the Saturday Night Special. Tonight, inspired by National Aquarium and Zoo Month, which is June, and World Ocean Day on June 8th, we are talking tonight with lots of people who do really, really fascinating things in that space. So first up is a conversation I had a little bit earlier with Dave Bernier, who is a general curator at the Lincoln Park Zoo, which means... The coolest job I've ever heard of. He does a lot of cool things. He works not just here in Chicago, but does effort and looks at data and does stuff to help animal populations around the world that are threatening extinction or that are really, really close to, to doing so. So let's take a listen to, uh, to this conversation that I had with him a bit earlier. Uh, tell me a little bit about the work that you do at Lincoln Park Zoo. So I, uh, as a general curator at Lincoln Park
4: Zoo, I oversee um, all the animal care department which includes uh, the four curators that oversee uh, the animal areas. And uh, we've been doing some really uh, exciting things this spring, probably people have noticed um, from our social media and from media in general. that We've had some major births at the zoo. We've had uh, 2.2 red wolves born, and that's kind of insider speak for two males and two female red wolves born on uh, April 13th. And this is really an important Uh, birth for us and for the Red Wolf Species Survival Plan because there's probably estimated around 30 or less red wolves left in the wild. And this is a critically endangered species and we've been working with them for many years in order to try to support the population. We also had on Mother's Day uh, a male western lowland gorilla born to the zoo, another critically endangered species. And uh, he and Mom Raleigh are doing very well at the Regenstein Center for African Aids. And people can usually see mom and baby on exhibit uh, during the day. Um, Eva, we've got partially screened-off exhibits where she can get a little private time, but uh, she's not shy about being out and about in the exhibit. You can see her. And we also recently had uh, a male eastern black rhino born on May 19th, another critically endangered species that we've been working with for a very long time, uh, an important birth to the species survival plan as well. Um, rhinos are... Uh, poached very heavily for their horn and their populations have been taking huge hits in Africa and Asia as well. This particular species is African species. And uh, we're very happy to be able to support uh, the captive population in order to uh, promote the welfare of this animal and also its plight in the wild. And uh, if people want to support the expertise we give our animals at the zoo, not just these guys, but all of them, uh, they can go to our website and they can look at our adopt or wish list section of the zoo.
1: I want to adopt them all. <laughs> I want to get all of them.
4: Yeah, I know. Me and my kids, too. you yeah, have got a few uh, adopt animals uh, laying around the house.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, you, you touched on something I think that is so important to really highlight. You know, we think about, uh you know, the zoo being just the place where we go to visit animals and we take our kids and our families and we go and we see all the creatures and, and marvel at them and they, they bring us joy to go and see them. But but it's such a bigger effort. There's so much going on behind the scenes. And that conservation piece, I think, is so important. And yet it seems so daunting and overwhelming. You know, we hear about populations of, of these creatures. That are endangered, and we see numbers of, of what's left of them in the world, and it seems so overwhelming. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you even tackle that when it's, you know, worldwide such a huge problem? How do we tackle that just right here with our population of animals at Lincoln Park Zoo? Well,
4: I think it starts with um, just working with the species survival plans for the animals that are housed in zoos. Uh, we want to be able to make sure that we are contributing to really strong populations that will survive for a very long time. Uh, We work with the Population Management Center, which is uh, also located at Lincoln Park Zoo. It's part of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and we help uh, managers of over 500 species be able to make sure that they are making recommendations uh, for breeding and for transfer of animals in order to support really strong genetic populations. So in the zoo world, that's one of the major things that we do. But we also, uh, what we've done at Lincoln Park Zoo is really we became, we've gotten a global reach. And we've been trying to go out into the world, the larger world, either with local conservation or with the conservation work we do in Africa, um, in order to help promote on the ground conservation, uh, not just what we can do in Chicago, but what can be done by, uh, local people and communities in order to support, um, some of these endangered species as well.
1: You know, there's so much cool stuff on the website for Lincoln Park Zoo. I think a lot of people probably just, you know, head there and go, okay, what time are they open? Here's the stuff I need to know. Uh, what's there? Right. But there's so much cool data. And there's the um, the Zoo Risk Index. It's so interesting and, and all these cool data points. And it's all about uh, population management. Talk about that, if you would.
4: So I uh, have some, some experience with that. Because it's more of our conservation science department to be able to speak more fully to that. But um, I also help, um, I'm a species coordinator for two different species um, at the zoo. Um, And uh, so I understand that uh, with ZooRisk and other um, software that the Population Management Center has, that uh, they help us be able to, like, uh, kind of project into the future what our population will need in order to uh, be strong and viable 100 years out or 10 generations out and helps us make decisions now about, breeding and transfer of animals in order to ensure that population is strong going forward. So there is a lot of um, different tools um, available uh, to uh, animal managers and also to uh, people that manage uh, animals in the wild, too, like with our Puerto Rican parrots. We've been helping to uh, model populations and work with them as far as their breeding and release programs in Puerto Rico for this endangered parrot species for probably close to 10 years and uh, with some really good success.
1: That's so interesting to, to be able to forecast kind of when you're looking at, okay, are we doing enough to serve this population and the crisis they're in now so that we can help rehabilitate them? And you mentioned there are the, the two, uh, two animal species that you work with. Which are those?
4: I am the SSP coordinator for the Sichuan Tapan, which is, uh, uh, a goat species it's a very interesting animal you see at the zoo they're beautiful they're very large goat species and then also the southern three-banded armadillo which is a, a small mammal that uh, you would see at our red small mammal in reptile house
1: what is the biggest i mean i think the answer is probably human beings but i'm i'm guessing but but what is the biggest threat to both of those populations
4: yeah both of those have vulnerable wild populations and you're right that the number one threat is um Uh, Habitat loss for both. Uh, Hunting for the armadillo is probably number two. But habitat loss is is a major concern. And part of that is people moving into spaces that they haven't lived in before or uh, trying to farm or be able to um, use forested areas or other areas for economic needs, which is something that um, the zoo has been working with um, in Central Africa with our our researchers um, in order to kind of work with um, forestry uh companies in order to sustainably harvest and uh work in uh in those areas where chimpanzees and gorillas live in order to make sure that we're leaving habitat for them and being able to coexist with them as opposed to um, just kind of coming in and uh taking trees out.
1: That's a conversation that I was having a little bit earlier with Dave Bernier, who's uh, the main curator at the Lincoln Park Zoo. What an interesting job! And and you know, just in that brief time in that com- the beginning of that conversation. Learning so much from him about what the Lincoln Park Zoo is doing, which I think is so cool. We think about the zoo being just right here in the city, but so many zoos. What I learned from him was so many zoos, including Lincoln Park Zoo, are doing projects around the world to help animals, which I think is really cool because all of the animals in captivity have a wild counterpart. So we'll be right back to hear part two of that conversation that I had with him right after this break. Here, back in a second on seven twenty WGN. I 720 WGN. I was like, what is this? Oh, from Tarzan. Yeah. Good call on that one. (laughs) I was like, what in the world? That sounds like. Real strange Genesis, old school. I don't know. Yeah, but that's from Tarzan. There get it is. Strangers like me. I get it. Yeah, that's with the theme, you're very good at picking like good songs to match with the theme. And that theme tonight, we're <laughs> talking inspired by National Zoo and Aquarium Month. We're talking with all kind of cool people doing really cool things in that space. And so just before the break was part one of a conversation that I had a little bit earlier with Dave Bernier, who is uh, the main curator at the Lincoln Park. Zoo, which is, I now believe, one of the coolest jobs I've ever heard of in my life, because he's doing things to help animal populations, not just care for the animals that are at Lincoln Park Zoo, but to care for their wild counterparts out in the wild around the entire world. It's oh so cool. If you go to the Lincoln Park Zoo website, um, you can read about some of the cool programs they're doing in Tanzania and just around the world. It's really cool. I recommend you do so. And that was a thing That was a thing I learned from him that so many zoos we think about, we just go there and we see those animals. But in fact, most zoos are huge educational and research facilities and doing so much for conservation, especially while so many wild habitats are being threatened for these creatures. So let's listen to part two of that conversation. When we talk about um, endangered populations and when we talk about conservation efforts, what, in your experience and given your expertise, what do you feel like people miss the most? What gets lost in that conversation?
4: I think um, when they see animals in zoos, um, they, like I said, they're, they're enthralled by them and they understand the value of them a little bit more. And what we're trying to do is connect them with these animals. I think... It's hard to equate like what the pressures that they're really under um, when they're in the wild, and how small these populations are. Um, take for example giraffe. Uh, there have been giraffe in this country for you know over two hundred years, and people see them in zoos and they've seen them. And then when they think of a zoo, it's one of the five animals that probably pops into their heads. But in the, in Africa, their populations are really starting to uh, be affected by uh, their uh, fragmentation of their habitat, where they're being isolated more. And so I think it's hard to get that message across to people that a lot of the animals that you're seeing, their wild counterparts are under a lot of stress, um, and we don't want to overwhelm people with a a message like that because we want to be able to uh, show people how beautiful the animals are and that they have a lot of value. We want to generate empathy for those animals so that hopefully people will make really good choices in their own lives about sustainability practices, which will take pressures off of uh, the habitats of animals where they live so that they will have spaces to live and be able to um, hopefully grow and recover.
1: yeah, you're right. that is that is a, a tricky one because you know people go to the zoo and they want to see they want to do fun things and see animals and usually have little children with them, but yet it is important to share that message. so so what is in your mind, what is the key to getting more public support around issues about conservation and and uh, protecting endangered and threatened species?
4: I think engagement is really important. You know, we try to engage not just people on ground, but try to engage people in the community. Uh, we know that we have about three hundred, uh, about three point six million visitors every year, and they come from Chicago and all over the country and all over the world. And we would like them to like understand that um, the of the, what the plight of the animals are, and then take some information away with them uh, about what they can do in their lives. You know, what kind of actions can they take to make things better? And then even these little things that people do, um, if they really can add up over time, especially with our visitorship, that we might be able to make an important impact for these animals.
1: And what are those things to do over time? You know, we think about, okay, recycle. I don't run the water while I brush my teeth. And you think about those kind of things. But when we're talking about something uh, endangered on the other side of the world, I think it's hard to make those connections. What can people do from here to start making that difference and and make good choices for, for animals that are threatened?
4: Yeah, there are a few things that I would recommend that people could do in their lives every day. You know, uh, one of the major um, things that uh, places in Africa and South America and Asia, they're trying to uh, use wood sustainably. Um, and so people can buy products where sustainable wood is used uh, will really help bolster that part of those economies and will take away from some of the logging that happens that isn't sustainable. Uh, same thing with palm oil use. Palm oil is used in a lot of different products, um, from food to like probably cleaners and a lot of other things. And palm oil is um, one of those areas that people farm and they take away um, habitat from animals in order to grow palm. Uh, so, uh, But there are sustainable practices, and people sell that uh, sustainably. And, and what we try to do is hopefully in, in, at the zoo and also in our, in our daily lives is try to avoid those products that are not sustainable products and try to to, um, use products that are sustainable. So uh, you're starting to see more labeling of those kinds of things and steering away from the non-sustainable products. Uh, Same thing with seafood. Uh, We uh, participate in Seafood Watch, and um, we ask people to think about seafood when they go to eat and try to uh, pick sustainable seafood items in order to take the pressure off some of these uh, fish populations that are really being uh, hunted and and overfished uh, so that they can have a chance to survive as well.
1: Yeah, those are all very doable things. That's not something that you need millions of dollars to do. That's not something you need to necessarily even leave home to do. That's just stuff you can keep in your head as you're shopping, because as we all know, we vote with our dollars indeed.
4: Correct. Yes, it's it's a powerful tool.
1: Yeah, right. Definitely. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk with us tonight. This is uh, really interesting stuff. So where can people go to find out more and how can they just have a more educational experience while they're at Lincoln Park Zoo?
4: Well, you can definitely go to our website, which is lpzoo.org, dot org, and like you said before, there's a lot of great information on there. Some of it's fun, uh, some of it is uh, might boggle your mind a little bit. It's a kind of a science that we're doing um, in zoos and around the world to help endangered species, and also information about how. Um, you can help at home.
1: Definitely. And and I totally encourage people to go do that because just looking around the website uh, ahead of calling you, I, there's so much interesting stuff. The uh, Tanzania Conservation and Science Program, Urban Wildlife Institute, so much cool stuff that's happening there that I don't think we see when we stroll through the zoo. So very cool stuff.
4: We don't. And, uh, yeah, the, the zoo's website's a great place for that. We try to uh, use um, some of our programs uh, on grounds like some of our techs, in order to bolster that information about what's really going on behind the scenes. We have a lot of science centers at the zoo and a lot of scientists working diligently on things that the public, when they come to the zoo, may not know about. But uh, Lincoln Park has really reached out, and, and they have a global impact now. And, and I'm really proud to be part of uh, the institution for that reason.
1: I'm sure. You have such a cool job. You get to hang with animals all day. That's way better than people. I do.
4: <laughs> I like. I can't wait to come to work every day. I love it.
1: Oh, I bet. I bet it's so cool. Well, we shall. We'll make a point of saying hi next time we're all at the zoo. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us tonight. You're welcome. Thank you. That was a conversation that I had a little bit earlier with Dave Bernier, who is the general curator at Lincoln Park Zoo, which means he's in charge of all the creatures, which is such a fun job. It sounds like such a cool gig, but you know, I I would like to note he, uh, what I learned, I learned many things from him, but one thing, if his voice sounds familiar, he's on a lot of, he's, uh, been on WBZ, Curious City, all that, but he has been on WGN several times. He used to be on with Milt Rosenberg a lot, um, which, who, who really gave me my start in radio. So I, I got nothing but love, uh, uh, for anybody who knows about Milt Rosenberg and appreciates him in that way, um you know, what's also really interesting, Lincoln Park is uh, there there's some renovations happening with the zoo. There's some or expansions, rather. there's some cool stuff happening. Uh, I think it's it's a, like a three or three to five year long project um that that's underway. Part of it is the the park itself, part of it is the zoo part of it. um so we we can expect to see more and more from them. But what I thought was really interesting, you know we we hear a lot of like, Lumber, sustainable seafood, sustainable lumber. The palm oil one, I knew, I've heard about it, uh, people not loving palm oil for health purposes. Um, that was really interesting. And after I talked to him about that and he said, you know, if you can avoid palm oil, it's in a lot of stuff. But if you can avoid it, that's going to help a lot. I went and looked it up and did some research. He is so spot on. It, it To get it is really um hurting a lot of or to get it in in natural habitats anyway, where it's not like from uh, done in a sustainable way from a from a facility that's just growing that to get that palm oil. Um it's really harmful to habitats and, and it's so and it's in so many things that it's really, really hurtful. Of course it's in Nutella, so Oh no. We're gonna have to we're oh. gonna have to adjust know. Oh no, that. what is like, tell me. I know. I oh. was like, well that changes things up so Oh, I know, I was man. like, well what all is palm oil in? Yep, Mets uh Fare thee well, oh. Nutella, oh. until you can get your act together and not <laughs> use palm oil and be destroying animal populations. But apparently like the the uh, the store brand version of it not quite the same, but it doesn't have palm oil in it. Like the Aldi brand of it, it's okay. Oh. It's all <laughs> I can afford it anyway. It's fine. It's an Aldi one. It's fine. Nutella is like $4. I don't have $4. dollars you got to get that. $4? Do- it's f- like 6 Yeah, right. I'm being... I, that's how long it since I bought it. <laughs> if you have a coupon, maybe it's 4 At Aldi, it's like $1.99. So it's way more doable and doesn't have palm oil. So I'm on the right track. There with you go. That. So so there's that. So there's lots of small things to do. Um, there's lots of also a lot of resources um, out there. I'm going to be tweeting some of them a little bit later on. I've been tweeting about the program tonight and uh, linking to uh, to Linky Park Zoo's Twitter. You should follow them. They're always tweeting about their new zoo babies and all that cool stuff. Um, great folks over there doing cool stuff. But we're going to take a break and go to news here in a little bit. On the other side of news, we are going to be talking with someone who is uh, not in the zoo space, not in the aquarium space in the sense of the aquarium like a place, but the aquarium like the object, the item, the living habitat. And he's doing a very cool thing to bring aquariums because they're relaxing, they're beautiful, beautiful. They, you know, if you're lonely and you got your fish right there, it's beautiful. It's like very chill to have your fish around. But he is bringing mobile aquariums into children's hospitals because some kids can't get out of bed to see them. Some kids can't even get human visitors. It's really That's horrible. That's so sweet. But to bring these bright, happy, beautiful aquariums into them. So we're going to be talking with him. He's local. He's right here uh, in the Chicago area. Uh, and he has a company called Something Fishy, Inc., I love that title the Fish puns I, love I bet it. he had so much fun Coming up with the title <laughs> I bet he did Okay, so on the other side of news We're going to be talking with him All about the work that he's doing That's really, really cool Bringing lots of joy To lots of kids, I'm sure And and I'm sure And I hope many, many more So, back in just a bit Here on 720 WGM <laughs> Seven twenty, WGN. And now, how does that song relate to wildlife? <laughs>
2: I just really like this song.
1: <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Okay, you had the Tarzan song. You had some <laughs> little like world beat earlier, and I'm like, oh, okay. I don't get it. I just gotta sing. I just had to get
2: myself back up because you said Nutella had some oil that you palm know palm oil. Yeah, it's killing oil. all
1: of the animal habitats and making everybody tear. It's bad. Yeah, I humans to- are terrible. <laughs> Nutella makes us worse, even though it is extremely delicious. That's what I know. I know. All right. But on the other side of news, we're talking with someone who's doing something so cool for kids that are in the hospital and cannot... Get visitors and cannot, you know Sometimes are isolated for, you know Their immune system is down, things like that We're talking with someone who brings fish tanks in To visit kids in the hospital, it's so cool It's such a cool thing that he's doing And then after that we're going to talk with someone From the Oregon Coast Aquarium Because there are very unique Challenges to habitat restoration And conservation efforts When on a coast, so we're going to check in with them With our friends on the west coast, but that Is all coming up on the other side of news
2: Under the sea Under the sea
1: Dollars. Vivian, I knew you were going to play that When you said, wait until you hear the song I got teed up for this one I was like, I bet it's going to be that Little Mermaid song But I'm not going to say that and You know, that I didn't so know it so well I knew it, I knew it <laughs> Well, it fits with the theme Because inspired by National Zoo and Aquarium Month Which is June And June 8th being World Ocean Day I started looking around for people in this space Doing cool things And that is when I met our next guest, and that is Romney Cirillo, who has a company called Something Fishy, Inc., it's a fun name, and what they're doing is so cool. I had to bring it to you because it is such an interesting idea, and it is all, well, I'm just going to say hi and let him explain it to you. Romney, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us tonight.
5: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: All right, so talk to us about something fishy and this cool mobile aquarium.
5: Yeah, so um, our company being a aquarium service company in Chicago um, would be within a lot of hospital settings. And while doing larger systems within um, those hospitals, we, through talking to staff, found that there unfortunately were children um, in children's hospitals that we were in that wouldn't be able to get out of their room uh, due to their medical conditions or immune systems. And um, we decided that why not bring something to them, and that's where mobile aquatic therapy was uh, created, which is a state-of-the-art hospital-grade mobile aquarium that can basically travel to wherever it's needed most.
1: And for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I just tweeted out a link to this so you can see it. It's this bright, beautiful, colorful, happy thing that uh, comes that can, you know, be placed in any room and moved around the hospital wherever it is needed. And and, you know, the therapeutic aspect of it is very interesting to me because, you know, we think about uh, bringing any kind of creature into a hospital and we think about uh, we think about a dog, but they can't go into every uh, they can't interact with every person in a hospital.
5: Yeah, for sure. And um, for us, we, we didn't even realize that as we were developing our, our product that um, we were basically getting side-by-side side with that, that service that's already out there, which, again, like you said, is dog therapy, which is AAT, which is assisted animal therapy, which is... Obviously, mainly a lot of dogs, believe it or not, some some, uh, companies do small horses and small farm animals that can come into the hospital setting. But for us in our program, it's um, great due to the fact of, obviously, some of those restrictions for for animals coming into spaces. Our our system, obviously, being um, well-wrapped and and covered on a medical side is is able to be a lot more versatile.
1: And and that's so interesting. And so I understand that you have created sort of a, a personality that goes along with this aquarium.
5: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, again, obviously the aquarium itself is the, the showstopper and, and, and the whole point of the program. But for us, um, you know, being creative as, as our, our parent company name, Something Fishy is, we, we really like to think outside the box and, and offer just a lot more um, within the program than just an aquarium. So for us, it was exciting to um, make a connection with the kids and, and have it be relatable. And that's, of course, where a mascot has to come in, right? So um, with the, the 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 program name being Matt, we um, rightfully so named him Matt. And Matt is 70% aquatic and 30% human. And he is a character that we will implement into coloring sheets and activity sheets and just for a way for us to tie it in and, and make it really engaging for the children as they're enjoying the aquarium in their rooms as well.
1: And as you have, and this is still a fairly new project, but as you have been rolling it out in, in children's hospital areas, what has that feedback been like? Is it is it uh, at first kind of, well, this is something so different? Or is it, I, I got I, I would like to think anyway, that pretty much right away, this is something exciting and visual for kids.
5: A hundred percent. You know, we took great pride in taking our time and developing it to make it look the way it does, which um you know, it's it's hard for anybody not to you know turn heads, whether it be doctors or staff, nurses, child life, um, even just the people that are in and out of a hospital on a daily basis. But it really goes um, um one step further for for everybody to get a lot of uh, excitement when they see it, and then to realize. Oh my gosh! This is uh, an aquarium that's just rolling down the hallway. It really um, brings it up to that next level.
1: That's so fun, and I think that would be such a, a joy, uh, you know, to see something like that, especially in that environment. There's so much fret and worry going on there, uh, and also you've, you've taken a lot of care, it seems, to uh, in its construction. Not only have it meet. Hospital standards um, for for you know hospital grade equipment, but also in sourcing the materials to make that reef inside of it.
5: Yeah, th- that's where we've had a lot of fun, and like you mentioned, our our company really painstakingly worked on the outside to stay up um, to code with infection control and um, the powers and that B that, that keep the hospital safe and. and, and, and you know, to the standards that are, are required. But for us, um, it's also important in, in line with what you've been talking about already tonight to um, be ethically um, in, on an environmental level responsible. So the inside that makes it look so colorful, of course, besides the fish themselves, um, are, are custom artificially made inserts. So um, one of our manufacturing partners is Poseidon Construction out in California. And I'm sure a lot of people would recognize their work as they've done things in places such as rainforest cafe t-rex cafe and disney world but we work um really closely with them as it's a cube shaped aquarium and that insert was made specifically for the inside of the aquarium so it really fills up almost every nook and cranny to really give that depth and that that excitement of just really when you're watching the tank in a in a setting you, these fish these small reef fish are just swimming in and out of those corals and it, it just really adds to the uh, overall effect
1: and the fish too. There, there's, uh, you know, you've you've sourced those. It seems in, in really thoughtful ways as well.
5: Yeah, so, again, just going in line with us finding, you know, trying to find the best of the best within our industry, um, it was important for us to um, find something that was also sustainable for our livestock, um, the aquariums, the animal, um, the fish that are in it. So um, ORA um, is a leading um, aquaculture um, facility within Florida, and ORA only breeds um um, they're captive bred fish, so essentially no um, fish that they are producing is taken from the wild. It's all um, captive bred, and that's the only fish we're using in our program. Um, and further, that actually really helps due to, um, you know, a sustainability and, and, and having a hardier fish. You know, a fish taken from the wild would be, as you can imagine, a lot more stressed in that small of an aquarium and in that type of environment. So these fish, all they know is, is that space, and they're comfortable and they're happy within it, um, as we've seen.
1: And, and, you know, there's, there's so much to be read out there about the benefits of, of having a water feature in your home or, you know, for stress mm-hmm. levels and just being able to look at, at an aquarium and things like that. And, uh, you know, there's so many benefits and I think children would probably be so delighted to see something like this. In terms of, there's a lot of, uh, and I ask this because there's a lot of uh, business owners that that listen to this program and, and regularly check in and all of that. So if someone is looking to bring something like this into their healthcare space what kind of costs would be associated with this? I think mobile aquarium of this size and this something that's beautiful, and I think it would probably be extremely expensive. And so how does that, uh, how does that cost work out for, uh, for the hospitals and facilities that you're going into?
5: Sure. No, that's a great question. And that's something that we really, for us had to look at and, and really make sure um, we were implementing properly to, to make it makes sense because at the end of the day it does come down to budget for a lot of places so for us instead of a hospital or a facility needing to you know, outright buy that, that equipment or that, um, that aquarium and everything that goes into it on a constant basis. It was easier for us, um, and for a lot of our facilities already that we're in to see it as an all inclusive program. So, um, the best way I can describe it to people is just like you would go into a dealership and, you know, buy a car on a lease. This is what we're doing with our program. So as our program develops and, um, generation two, generation three, you know, and so on come out that, that facility isn't going to be stuck with one unit that they had to spend a large amount of money up on in front. Um, it's all wrapped into one so that as the program evolves, that aquarium within their facility evolves. So, as we continue to advance that product, they're always going to get the next best thing out there, and they're, they're paying for it as right now at a lease, um, you know, a monthly based subscription.
1: Which is, I'm sure, much more doable than buying a very giant rolling aquarium that's so beautiful with all kind of gorgeous fish in it. So we're talking right now with Romney Cirillo, who is the co-founder of Something Fishy, Inc., a company that designs, installs and services aquatic systems here, right here in Chicagoland, but also has created this new program all about mobile aquatic therapy to bring these beautiful fish, and these cool aquariums into children's hospitals. We'll be right back in just a bit to continue this conversation on 720 WGN.
0: Manufacturing is at the heart of our economy in Chicago. As a matter of fact, it's the second largest business sector. Now, we all want to run our managed companies that provide safe work environments and meet government regulations. Luckily, there's a business called U.S. Compliance. It's not a government agency, but they help your company meet the OSHA standards and environmental compliance regulations that you don't have time to worry about yourself. Their goal is to help you keep your workers safe, keep the environment healthy, and make your community a better place. If you're the owner of a small to medium-sized business, or maybe you're the plant manager, or you're responsible for the company's ocean or environmental regulations, U.S. Compliance is here to make your life easier. They provide comprehensive expertise for a flat monthly fee. They're never going to come in and upcharge you. You know what you're paying. U.S. Compliance has been doing this for over 30 years. Visit them at uscompliance.com. That's uscompliance.com. Or call 888 897 Start spending time on what's going to keep you in business, make you money, and make you happy. It's uscompliance.com, 888-897-8681.
4: Today, business happens here, here, and virtually anywhere. Because today, innovative companies are reinventing the way business happens. And they need people who can keep up with the expertise and technology to get packages to over 150 million delivery points. So... Who can help you deliver the future of commerce? The United States Postal Service. See why we deliver more e-commerce packages to homes than anyone at usps.com future. There's nothing like meeting face-to-face. And there's nothing like Zoom to make that happen. Zoom lets you connect and do business across town or around the world. Zoom ties together all of your communication needs into one easy platform for video conferencing, phone calls, group chat, webinars, and your conference rooms. Connect easily from anywhere. Your mobile phone, your laptop, or conference room. Zoom is how business gets done.
5: Get your free account at zoom.com today. Meet happy with Zoom.
1: Make Sundays your official night to tour the city. Watch Chicago's best at 10 p.m. then stick around for the latest in shopping, entertainment and events on See Chicago at 10:30 p.m. on WGN TV. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. And as I said earlier in the program, inspired by June being National Aquarium and Zoo Month and June 8th being World Ocean Day, I started looking around for people doing cool things in that area and I hit the jackpot. I found all kind of cool people doing very, very cool things in this space. One of those people is on the phone with us right now. Romney Cirillo is the co-founder. I have something fishy ink, which is, I'm sure we should, we gotta, we gotta, I got questions about, about the name of that, about, cause I, it sounds like it was so fun to name it. There's so many good fish puns out there, but something fishy ink, which makes this cool mobile aquatic therapy thing. You gotta go to the website. Just go to fishyonline.com slash therapy and you can read about it. You can see this thing. It's real cool. If you follow me on Twitter, you can see it. I just tweeted a picture of it cause it's really, really cool. So Rami, before the break, we were, we were talking a little bit about the service and all of that. And uh, you know, I, I'm really moved by this story that that there you were, you know, working on these fish tanks, servicing them in these big commercial spaces, and that uh, you know, being in children's hospitals, there were children that were too sick to get out of bed to go see the fish. And there were children that had to be in isolation and couldn't go see the fish. And so you you solved this problem. And and, you know, one thing I love to ask entrepreneurs in particular is, you know, what was the what is the thing that that people Overlook or get wrong or often misunderstand about about the business that you're in, and and I I would have to think that having an aquarium doesn't mean everyone can see it is a, is a big one. But but what else do people uh, misunderstand or that you wish they understood better about about the business that you're in and this this cool mobile fish device thing? What do why do you want to call it device thing aquatic therapy yeah. unit thing? I just renamed yeah. it for you. You're welcome. There
5: you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And um, no, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because it does get brought up a lot um, just as much as it would in, in the zoo world or public aquaria space. And that is um, how could you and how dare you put um, an animal into a glass mm. cube or an acrylic cube as our, our aquariums are manufactured by Titan Aquatic Exhibits that does large public aquaria and they've made that um, aquarium for our mobile, which is acrylic, so it's not glass, which is important in a hospital setting, so sure. it's safe, but either way you look at it, um, people always um, are a little bit, you know, sometimes taken aback by the idea. Yeah. The good news is, like many in the zoo world and we would explain, is our industry is obviously pro-animal and pro-conservation. Um, and our industry, specifically to the aquarium service and, the, um, you know, the sales of aquariums for people and whether they're home or a commercial space, over the past 10 years has gotten extremely on board and the, the, the leaders if you will in conservation and making sure um, you know a lot of things are, are captive bred now and, and not just you know the, the businesses but um, academic institutions university um, that are doing above and beyond to help this epidemic that we have going on which is you know the bleaching that we're seeing in our coral reefs around the world and global warming and, and all this so we're talking coral propagation which is a huge conversation being had um, not even just in our industry but other industries to help Help, um, restore our reefs in the, around the world, which is huge. And again, just even fish species populations and, and everything else that goes with it.
1: Yeah, you know that that's been a big theme tonight. Through through, you know, as as I started diving into to this space and looking at people doing work in this space, I think there is very black and white thinking about public aquariums and zoos and things like that, and and mm-hmm. either it, it's animal jail or or they're free. And it turns yeah. out, you know, the more we are harming the habitat that animals live and thrive in, the more you know the the educational and conservation role that that uh, animals in captivity it's it's kind kind of it's shifting i think a little bit i think people are starting to realize what these organizations are doing in this space and 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 what they what our relationship to to them are i think is very different than it, than it was even like 10 years ago
5: I think it's really important for people to keep an open mind. Like any type of situation you go into, if you kind of put the blinders on and and stick to one opinion or one fact in the matter, it's, it's a lot more, like you said, a lot more to that. There's a a very large gray area. It's not just black and white and uh, especially just, Again, um, Lincoln Park Zoo and Brookfield Zoo, what they're doing to educate the public—it's um, important because <laughs> us as a species, we're the leaders in making sure that we do something for this world. And, and if we don't have those places, um, it's—it's going to get just worse.
1: And we're the worst; like we've messed it up. <laughs> like we're—we're we're, we're number one public enemy number one for these habitats. So, so we hundred percent we owe them that much. Well, so I want to backtrack a little bit back to the—you uh, know—the the mobile aquatic therapy that you do and and focus on that therapy piece of it. Because that's, I think sometimes it's, it, well, it's hard to quantify beauty and it's hard to quantify, hey, looking at a fish tank makes me very relaxed. But in that clinical setting, in a hospital, what is that? What is the impact of that? And what is that therapeutic aspect uh, and the reach of it?
5: Yeah no so for us you know as we as I mentioned to you is that we're we're really just skimming the surface no pun intended and and getting into this market space but um, the exciting thing for us is we've by working in those had a good idea already of where this this aquarium could go and and the benefits it could offer but um, being fortunate enough to collaborate and talk with um, for example. Um, one department in the hospital that, that, that doesn't get enough ten- attention, I feel, and really should, um, and they are really the therapy side when it comes to a children's hospital specifically is child life. Um, a lot of people don't realize that besides doctors and nurses, there's other people there at that hospital that are doing a lot to make sure that that child's stay is as comfortable as possible, which is a very difficult time. So for them, they've worked with us. as, as, as That's the department we've we've been able to work with in that hospital to tell us, where these, these um, uh, mobile aquariums could be going and, and where they're being used. So um, procedure distraction, patient coping, patient therapy, patient activities, which, again, is where we're trying to provide material so that those those uh, staff members, the Child Life, can, can provide more than just that aquarium but something that goes with it. Um, and then the most important thing is where – where we don't look at in a hospital is obviously our number one focus or their focus is on, on the patient but let's realize the, the families that are there, um, the the parents, the siblings, uh, the, the grandparents whoever may be visiting that child they're going through a very difficult time too and this aquarium can provide a little bit of um, de-stress and relaxation for them as well and then lastly the staff you know um, those nurses and those doctors are, are working long and hard hours and, and, and seeing some very difficult situations so this aquarium can easily be put into a setting within that hospital for them to benefit as well.
1: It's such an interesting idea, and, and I have to think it's such a such a welcome sight in a in a room for sure. And so, uh, you're in a few hospitals now already. You're st- still a, a young, a relatively young company, uh, but mm-hmm. in, in a few hospitals already with great success. And so, where can people go to find out more or to contact you if they're interested in having this in their health facility?
5: Yeah, no. We you could definitely find a lot of information in more detail on our program at um, our website, which is uh, www.mobileaquari uh, Excuse me, mobileaquatictherapy.com. Um, and then, of course, we're on Facebook and Instagram. On both of those, it's mobile aquatic therapy.
1: And again, if for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I just tweeted out a link to this uh, so you can see it for yourself and see exactly what the heck we're talking about. It's pretty, pretty awesome. cool. Well, Romney Cirillo, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we will Thank w- you. talk to you again. Keep us updated on this. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much, Amy. Thanks so much. All right. We're going to take a little break, get you to news, all that good stuff. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth, and this is a Saturday night special. And as ever, we take one big topic and we talk about it all night. Tonight, inspired by June being June 1st, being the start of National Zoo and Aquarium Month, and June 8th being World Ocean Day, we've been talking all about cool stuff people are doing in this space. And we're joined now by Sally Compton, who's the communications and marketing manager at the Oregon Coast Aquarium in Newport, Oregon, because, let's face it, we are here, we have the beautiful Great Lakes here in Chicago and in the Midwest. However, there are some very unique things to conservation and uh, when it comes to being on a coast of an ocean. So that's where Sally comes in to tell us about the cool things that they're doing there at Oregon Coast Aquarium. Sally, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, there's so much going on at this aquarium that's, that's so cool. I, en- I encourage everyone to go to aquarium.org and just read about all the cool programs that are happening there. But, but let's just kind of start at the top and, and tell us about your organization and, and the unique challenges of conservation when it comes to coastal places.
6: Yeah, definitely. So I think the number one thing is that the reason why there's a lot that the aquarium does is because there's a lot that, that is happening for conservation and specifically marine conservation in Oregon in general. And so as sort of like one of the premier resources in Oregon for marine education and conservation, we feel like it's our responsibility, you know, to be really involved in that and not only in just educating people when they're on grounds at the aquarium, but doing outreach, getting out in the community, whether that's local and throughout the Pacific Northwest and just teaching people and, and getting people involved in, and, um, and, Our overall mission as a nonprofit is to inspire people to not only just want to see all the different wildlife and animals and and really cool things that we have here on the Oregon coast, but also be inspired to conserve it. And so having that be our mission, um, we want them to leave the aquarium with this overall um, feeling of wanting to preserve it as well.
1: And how do you go about doing that? I feel like that's a, kind of been a theme of the show tonight, of, of inspiring people to do the right thing and, and, and do right by uh, creatures on land and in the ocean. And, and so what is, that, uh, what is that balance between having especially young people visiting the aquarium and having a really fun time, but also letting them know that, hey, these, their wildlife counterpart is, is having some trouble and needs your help? How do you balance that? Yeah,
6: definitely. So I would say there's kind of two types of people that come to a zoo and aquarium. Uh, There's the, the first type, which is, you know, they love zoos and aquariums. They love animals. They love the outdoors. And they're kind of already in the know about what's going on. And so our goal with these people are to, first of all, since they already have that baseline knowledge, we really need to provide something on top of that. And so whether that's the experience that they're having at the aquarium, so making sure that our signage is very educational, our programs are about, um, things that they can do to help the animals that they're seeing, but also providing opportunities for them to get more involved beyond their visit. So, whether that's hosting beach cleanups on the Oregon coast, um, having them get involved as dive volunteers for the marine reserves, um, getting involved in outreach, so going across the state of Oregon to teach people. These are kind of the people that they've, like I said, they already have that baseline. And so, we just want to get them more involved and more um, kind of on the front lines. And then the second type of person, I would say, is the person that's coming with their family, you know, maybe their friends, and they're just coming to the aquarium because they're looking for a good time. So the aquarium is more represents like an attraction for them, and they're looking for entertainment, looking uh, maybe they're already visiting the Oregon coast and this was something to do. And so we have to cater to this group of people kind of um, – be the entertainment for them, make sure that they're having a great time, that they're enjoying the animals, but at the same time instilling this, hey, it's great that you had a great time here and love the animals, but here's what we need to do to make sure that they're here in the future for future generations. And and just finding a way that we can connect these conservation issues with people that might not otherwise care about them. Um, So, you know, finding ways to relate the information to people in all different kinds of ways is really the challenge of of the aquarium, I would say, but it's a challenge that we're definitely up to taking, and and we like doing that, especially working in marketing. That's kind of um, one of the best parts of the job.
1: I bet. And your facility also is authorized for, for very specific types of uh, marine species rehabilitation in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, tell us a bit about those, too, if you would.
6: Right. So the Oregon Coast Aquarium is... Um, actually the only facility in Oregon that's authorized to care for endangered marine species, so um, sea turtles, some types of shorebirds that we have here, like snowy plovers, and then we're one of only three facilities in the entire Pacific Northwest that, again, is authorized to care for these species. So it's us, Um, There's Oregon Zoo and then Seattle Aquarium. And so if there's an endangered species that's in need of care, then kind of depending on where it was found, um, where it was injured, uh, that would determine where it would go. Um, So we actually are predominantly the main people that are taking in uh, the endangered sea turtles that we get in. Um, So basically what happens is there is green sea turtles, olive ridleys. um, They're an endangered species, and typically they're found off the coast of Southern California and Mexico. Um, but in changing seasons, changing ocean patterns, uh, currents, they can actually get caught in these harsh winter storms. And because of that, they'll actually get caught on a current that will lead them to the Oregon coast. And because the reptiles, once they're in these cold waters that we have up here, it's about 57 degrees, uh, pretty much all of their bodily functions stop working. And so they're sort of at the mercy of the ocean. They'll get caught in the waves, uh, crash onto the shore pretty pretty severely. We've seen them with you know cracked shells, broken bones, and um, pretty poor condition. And so uh, us being that resource, Facility that can take in these animals, we'll take them in, do all we can to rehabilitate them, and uh, ultimately our goal is to send them back to Southern California or Mexico so that they can be released. We we see a lot of females that this happens to, and you know it's really important because when you have an endangered population, just one one female that is rehabilitated and released can make a difference for that entire population of animals. Um, and so this is sort of one of the major major pieces of work that we're doing with the sea turtles, and then. Um, we actually see usually over 300 cases of wildlife a year and that's can be anything from a seagull to an endangered animal like a sea turtle or um, sometimes we'll have like northern fur seal pups and things like that.
1: That that was yeah that was my very next question of how many how many you see a year and and that's a lot three hundred is a lot of creatures especially when as we were talking about at the, the top of the program when you know a unique challenge that that was brought up in a conversation with someone from the Lincoln Park Zoo here in Chicago is if you go to a zoo or an aquarium and you see a creature again and again it's hard to it's it's hard not to make a disconnect between oh I've seen this creature my whole life and but its wildlife counterpart there may not be that that many of them left. So when we think oh right. 300 but and yet you know there's 70 of a certain kind of leopard and things like that that that's really really difficult when when you're when you're talking about conservation efforts. So what is the one of the most endangered um, creatures that that you get at your aquarium? So I would say
6: The most endangered that we get um, are some of the rare uh, seabirds. So like I mentioned, we got a a western snowy plover. Uh, We've had really active habitat management for the snowy plover species in Oregon for about the past, I would say, uh, two decades. And because of this management that we've had, so we have a really good uh, coordination that's set up between the aquarium, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Forest Service. We all work together um, on these these processes so that essentially they'll go out, check the nest, you know, check the site, see what's going on out there. And when they do find an animal that is either abandoned, sometimes we'll get chicks that come in. Um, We most recently saw a female that um, was about four years old. She had a broken wing. But this is such an important individual because this female had actually um, mothered chicks pretty much every year. And so um, that one individual, if we're able to rehabilitate it and release it back into the wild, that makes such a difference for that population. Um, and so um, it's really you know these rare these rare seabirds and then um, I would say also the the sea turtles as well. Yeah. One issue that we have come up a lot is you know. Oregon's a really popular place for marine mammals, so whether that's um, sea lions, harbor seals, whales, um, we also have very strict laws concerning, you know, whether or not we can interfere in these cases, and so it's hard because uh, we're actually, for marine mammals, we can interfere in cases of human-caused suffering, so... One example is uh, just this week there was a sea lion that had been entangled in fishing line, and so it was digging into its neck pretty deeply. And so now we're working on a, a pretty large case to try to – um, trap the sea lion, you know, um, get get to the animal, take off the string, treat the wound, and then release it again. Um, so, you know, every animal case is different, and we have to have different strategies for it.
1: Indeed. We're talking with Sally Compton, who is the communications and marketing manager at the Oregon Coast Aquarium in Newport, Oregon. We're going to take a little break, and we come back, we'll continue this conversation about the specific challenges and programming that are happening there along these coastal waters. Back and just a bit on 720 WGN on. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. We've been talking with Sally Compton, who is the communications and marketing manager at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, which, look, I've never been there, but now I cannot wait to go because it looks like such a cool and special place. They're doing a lot of really, really cool things. You know, here in the Midwest, we've got our Great Lakes, and so we're not unfamiliar with coasts and shorelines. But on the West Coast, there's some very, very unique considerations to be made with uh, ocean wildlife. And so Sally's been talking with us about those. And so, you know, I think one thing that's come up a lot as we've been digging into this topic throughout the night is, is getting people used to the idea that, hey, you know, things have changed a little bit. And, you know, our aquariums and our zoos are these places that can help um, lead a lot of conservation efforts and a lot of educational resources. And and it seems that there at Oregon Coast Aquarium, you do a lot for to start that message pretty young uh, with, with getting young people involved in the organization. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about that.
6: Definitely. So um, we have a lot of different kinds of educational programs that we do on site. So whether that's field trips or school groups or lab programs. Um, we, ha- we actually have a really fun program where um, students and scout troops can come sleep over at the aquarium. And, you know, they do a bunch of different educational activities, um, scavenger hunts, and then they're actually able to sleep in our... We have a series of underwater tunnels, and so they can sleep in there. And this is just really great, you know, early exposure to how many different really cool animals that we have here on the Oregon coast. But then, you know, also we really try to... Um, include as much uh, conservation-based messaging in these programs as possible. One thing about Oregon is that, you know, we're not, uh, a lot of communities here are not necessarily uh, what what you would think of as urban. So I know you guys are in Chicago, but we have Portland. But then outside of that, you know, a lot of, uh, schools and students are in really rural areas so they don't have access to a lot of great educational resources um it's really hard for them to make it to the Oregon Zoo or to the Oregon Coast Aquarium and so we've actually had a program where we take our aquarium van we pack up all these different facts and you know, really cool. We have a giant blow-up whale, um, and we'll drive across the entire Pacific Northwest and bring the aquarium to these different schools. Um, it's a grant-based program, so it's extremely discounted. Um, so it's really great for schools that can't afford to make the trip out to the coast. And, you know, a lot of the kids that we're seeing, they've actually never seen the ocean before, um, even though the Oregon coast, you know, it's a whole side of the state. There's that whole eastern side. Um there's Idaho. Sometimes we're even going to Washington. We're going south to California, and we're visiting all these schools. Um, and so it's really it's really great to see the impact that this has. We get a lot of feedback from these schools, and we'll actually continuing visiting them annually, um, visiting them every year. And it's been really great for um, for the aquarium and then also for the state of Oregon and the entire Pacific Northwest as a whole, I think.
1: I'm sure that sounds like such a fun road trip to go on and talk about that kind of stuff with young people. Very fun. Yeah. Um, so when we, when you know, in the bigger picture, whether you're talking about, you know, interacting with students or adults or the two kinds of visitors that you were talking about earlier, what do when we when in the conversation about uh, aquatic wildlife conservation what what is the the thing that you wish more people knew or what is the thing maybe a big misconception that you hear often?
6: I think that I don't know if this is a misconception, but I think that sometimes all of the negative things that we hear you know the ocean is in trouble um, we hear about climate change a lot. We hear about, um, I know they just came out with that study about biodiversity declining. I think it can get really overwhelming for people. And I feel like people can start to think, you know, there's so many issues. Where do I start? I don't think that I can make a difference it's too late. Um, but one thing that I've noticed is that young people tend to feel this way the least. Young people are the ones who want to make a difference. They think they can make a difference. And I think that's something that Can we can make a model off of and can inspire people. And so I would say that my advice is that, you know, the actions of individuals add up to enact change. And so by you making your choices, whether that's, you know, I'm going to use less uh, single-use plastic. I know we hear about that a lot, but just reuse a reusable container, um, recycle. Um, Make these changes in your everyday life because they will add up. Um, And at the end of the day, even though uh, it's, you know, a lot of the large companies that are producing a lot of the plastic and um, the pollution, the the companies make decisions based off of what consumers do. And if consumers change their behavior, then they'll change what they're selling and what they're doing. Um, And I think we've seen that in a lot of companies already are starting to change their ways of doing things because they know that young people care about what they're doing and are paying attention
1: yeah as we said earlier in the program people we vote with our dollars and, and that speaks right. very very loudly well so everybody head to aquarium.org I want you to definitely click around check it out but definitely on the education tab there's some really neat things there I wish that I was still in Girl Scouts because I want to go do the sleep sleep in the deep thing and stay there overnight that sounds so fun I wonder if I can convince the people at the aquarium here to let me do that probably not but I think it's very very cool so uh anyone yeah. in, in that area I encourage you to do that if you can because that sounds pretty pretty cool so thank you so much for being with us tonight sally compton the communications and marketing manager at the oregon coast aquarium thanks so much thank you all right we are going to take a little break get you to news all that good stuff back in just a bit here on 720 wgn 720 WGN that's does it that does it for us it goes by so fast it does um thank you to you esteemed producer Vivian <laughs> you're very welcome um, speaking of esteemed producers steam producer Roe Coleman just told me something real cool. Uh, right before we were talking with Sally Compton from the uh, Oregon Coast Aquarium and she said there's a program where Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts could go and sleep in one of their underwater tunnels and I was like, oh, I want to go sleep in the aquarium. That sounds so cool. Turns out the shed because I joked, oh, let's see if we can get the shed to do it. The shed has such a program. It's called Sleep with the Fishes. Oh, that's so awesome. But you got to have a kid with you. Five to 12 years old. So if someone could loan me their child... <laughs> (laughs) because i do not have any of my own if you loan me your child if you need me to like chaperone your girl scout troop or whatever i will totally not teach them dirty words or anything terrible like that Uh uh-huh and yeah shut up david (laughs) and i will chaperone the girl scout troop so that we can all go sleep with the fishes at the shed that would be so fun mostly i would look at the otters all night because i think otters are the cutest thing in the world anyway it's been super fun this evening we will see you back here next week another exciting topic